iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yo, technology, what is it all about? So from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you went to bed at night, you were unconsciously nudged into eating better food, moving more connecting with your neighbors. And their life expectancy after two years went up by three years per person. We helped them shed about 3,000 kilos <laughs> off of their waistlines. Their life satisfaction went up by about 10%. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times, and we have a very cool one for you this week. And I think it just might inspire you, in fact, to maybe take a walk, perhaps whip something up in the kitchen, pour yourself a glass of wine, and the best part is all of that may very well just inch you ever closer to living to the grand old age of 100. I'm not kidding. So what am I talking about? Um, so longtime listeners will recall that a couple years back, I went along to the Milken Conference in Beverly Hills. And this is a big do where all the great and the good gather. It's kind of like Davos of the West. They get together and they talk about how we're going to propel humanity forward with the least damage imposed on the planet, on other people, etc. Anyhow, it was there that I met Dan Butner who's just a really interesting guy. He's an adventurer slash explorer who's done lots of very cool stuff like riding his bike across Africa, if I recall correctly. He is best known for Blue Zones, which is a book that emerged from a very simple idea. And that was to find the oldest, healthiest people in the world, just naturally. Hang out with them long enough to understand how they live their lives and then pull out the commonalities basically distill that and say, okay, if you live like these people, these groups of people, you will be healthier, you will live longer, etc. And the result was initially an article, and then a book, and then a company, in which Butner goes around America, helping cities do these simple things that can dramatically improve uh, the lives and longevity of people who live there. It's a fascinating company, it's also called Blue Zones. When I thought about him uh, in these wild COVID times. And so I reached out because I was wondering what he was seeing, how cities and governments are reacting to these vast behavior changes that are being imposed upon us, and whether the pandemic could actually push us further toward some of these habits that could help us live longer, or in the converse, perhaps set us back, depending on how this is all kind of shaking out. So I caught up with Dan this week via Zoom at his home and Santa Barbara, California, and he is full of 
interesting facts and figures, which you will soon hear. And I promise you, you will get a lot from this discussion, not only about how he built his business from just one singular off-the-wall idea, but also to some very basic things that we can all do to just be healthier, happier, and live longer. So I think you're going to enjoy this one, um, and I'm going to stop talking. So without further ado, I give you Dan Butner, founder of Blue Zones. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time, first of all. I don't know when I reached out to you first. It was probably a few weeks ago, right? I think just two weeks ago. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to you just because the world has been turned upside down. Since we spoke on for the pod, what was probably a couple of years ago, obviously there's a lot of stuff there that you talked about, like living in kind of the blue zones lifestyle and what that does for your health, et cetera. And I just wanted to catch up with you to talk about what how you see all of this playing out for good, bad, or indifferent. Perhaps the best way to start is if you could just give a brief overview of Blue Zones, what it is, and it's particularly like, you know, those those things you distilled from from studying these populations about healthy lifestyles, then we can get into what is happening in the world today and how that all mix, mixes together or doesn't. The original idea of Blue Zones grew out of a National Geographic article that sought to in a sense, reverse engineer longevity to find the statistically longest lived parts of the world. In other words, places that have achieved the outcome we want, they live a long time and they avoid obesity and heart disease, diabetes, cancer. And then once we find those places, try to find the common denominators or the correlates that seem to be explaining longevity. So the original work involved two demographers. I led the effort. And uh, we found the longest-lived men in the world in Sardinia, Italy, the longest-lived women in Okinawa, Japan, uh, an island off the coast of Turkey called Ikaria, where populations not only live in eight years longer than Americans do, but they also have about one-tenth the rate of dementia. In Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, northern Costa Rica, we found a population that has the lowest rate of middle-age mortality. What does that mean? That means they have the best chance, about a threefold chance of reaching a healthy age 95 than people from Great Britain do. And then uh, in the United States, we found the longest of people among the Seventh-day Adventist, a population of Christians that are living about a decade longer than their North American counterparts. Then we struck off and did the work to find the common denominators. And what are the common denominators? We found nine of them. I'll do a broad brushstroke. Number one, they, instead of exercising to get their physical activity, they live in environments where they're nudged to move every 20 minutes or so. So that means every time they go to work or their kids go to school or they go out to eat, it occasions a walk. Their houses aren't filled with mechanical contraptions that have engineered physical activity out of their lives. They do yard work and kitchen work and housework by hand, and they tend to have gardens. Most of these places have the benefit of three seasons of gardens, so they're, um, they're out getting that low-intensity physical activity of weeding and, uh, every day. Uh, number two, they're eating mostly a plant-based diet. Uh, the five pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains, including corn, rice, and wheat, leafy greens, not only spinach, but things like dandelion, tubers like sweet potatoes, nuts. If you're eating about a handful of nuts a day, it's probably adding two years to your life expectancy. And then the longevity all-star is beans, 
They tend to put their family first. Uh, they tend to belong to religion. And the interesting thing is they tend to be surrounded by a cluster of people. They call this a moai in Okinawa that hmm. um, support the right behaviors. And, and we now know that your, your three best friends are obese and unhealthy. You're about three times more likely to be overweight yourself. So one of the best prescriptives you can do to add years to your life is add a, f- a handful of friends whose idea of recreation is walking or running or playing tennis, a, a friend who cares about you on a bad day. It's not a bad idea, as disruptive this may sound, to have a vegan in your social network because <laughs> we know we tend to eat what the people around us eat. So vegan's going to nudge you away from that uh, that hamburger or that uh, pork chop and into something that's going to be better for you. Those were the kind of the common themes that emerged from these seven different pockets of people around the world. Yes, five, five places. The big insight, though, and the insight upon which we built a big company and we have um, 200 employees and over 50 cities working with us is the notion that that health, at least healthy longevity, almost is never successfully pursued. In a sense, longevity pursues us by setting up our environment the right way. In other words, these people living in Okinawa and Sardinia, they don't have heroic discipline. They don't have a great sense of individual responsibility. They just live their lives. The keenest insight I believe we brought back is that constellation of nudges and defaults in their environment and it brought them to America and it put them to work in American cities and have seen uh, real drops in obesity, drops in chronic disease at the population level, not by trying to convince people to change their diet, convince people to get out and take a jog, convince people to take nutrients, but by simply sort of the Adam Smith silent hand of nudging them towards eating more plant-based, moving more, socializing more in the right way, and then knowing their sense of purpose and living that sense of purpose. Here we are in the middle of a once in a century pandemic. Listen to what those factors that you're talking about. Some of those things, I mean, aside from like the increased mortality from if you get this and you get sick or God forbid you die or whatever, the severe behavior modification that this pandemic has created has been really interesting to watch for me. And like things like all of a sudden everybody's wearing masks. And in my neighborhood in Oakland, all of a sudden you see a lot more people walking, just walking around because they literally can't do anything else. And I'm just wondering from what you have seen, because you work with a lot of cities is this changing the way people are thinking about how they set up their cities, especially in America, where everything is so car-based? I mean, these aren't things that you can easily undo, but just what are you seeing kind of on the cold face of all this? First of all, realize that the sort of non-exercise physical activity is going to do a population confer more benefit than gyms or CrossFit or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What this pandemic has done has given many cities the opportunities to reevaluate the way they're using their streets. There, there's something like 20% of, the, your, the, of your city is occupied by asphalt, uh, which is largely just wasted. So we see several cities, Fort Worth, Texas, for example, where 
the uh, several streets downtown have been turned into pedestrian malls. They've made temporary bicycle lanes. Right here, I'm in Santa Barbara and State Street, which is the biggest thoroughfare of the city. That's been closed down. And all these restaurants that which normally would be devastated by the lack of business, they've just brought their tables outside into the streets. So you not only have a cleaner environment where less disease is spread, you still have a place where people can meet safely. And this COVID is an opportunity to for cities to reevaluate the priority they're giving to cars over human beings. You know, we're lobbying very hard that they just keep State Street closed down, which would do an enormous favor to pedestrians. By the way, if you optimize the built environment in a city, which is to say Mm -hmm. that you have bike lanes, sidewalks, trees, which are very important, an adequate public transportation system, and parks that are cleaned up, you can raise the physical activity level of the entire city by about 20%. No yoga classes, no gym. And that will occasion the city of a million people, many billions of dollars of lower healthcare costs over time. So it's a great investment. And how difficult is that to sell as an investment? Because again, if you're talking to city officials, so for example, I'm thinking of my in-laws, they live in Dallas, Texas. And the times we've gone there, I've just been amazed at how concretized it is. It's all freeways and freeways and more freeways. And you cannot exist without a car, which is, you know, not unique. But it seems like particularly um, extreme there. These are big. To kind of unwind that requires a complete rethinking of and remaking of cities. And I imagine you have to kind of make this a dollars and cents type is the willingness to listen to that argument more now than there was than it was before? Right next door to um, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, which is I, I would argue our biggest blue zone project success story. Helped mm. them uh, lower the obesity rate by six percent while it went up in Dallas, which is literally you know a twin city right next door. Yeah. And some of the things they did there, there are seven different districts there. They call them parishes. And we got each of those parishes to let us do what we call a marquee built environment project. So it's one street that we put on a diet. We slower tra- we lower traffic. We create a pedestrian mall in some examples. In order to sell the idea to people, to policymakers, they have to see it. And to go to Dallas, for example, and say, we're going to make your city walkable and it's going to cost $10 billion over the next 10 years, it's a hard sell. But what's not a hard sell is to take a particularly egregious street that's soulless with five lanes of traffic whipping by and the retail is not doing so well. And you put it on a diet, you slow traffic down, you narrow traffic lanes, you put trees up and you start to discover that the retailers that uh, line that street start doing better because they get more foot traffic. Then you start publishing the lower rates of accidents, the fewer children that get killed in that environment. And all of a sudden, people a few streets over look at that beautiful tree-lined street with ease traffic, and they say, we want one of those. And then you sell it incrementally. And about that time, two or three years into it, when other neighborhoods are asking for these marquee projects, then you bring the success to city council and you propose something called a complete streets policy package, or they go by a few names, but essentially you're never going to sell the idea of ripping up every street in a city to make it walkable and bikeable. 
But every street gets ripped up naturally about once every seven years because it just reaches its its expiration date. And that's the opportunity to cheaply put in the bike lane and the sidewalk and the safety curbs and, and plant the tree. So it really doesn't have to cost anything. But it does require people to accept the notion that the problem's not going to go away on its own. What happens is you get this sort of induced demand with uh, cars. That What most politicians do, people complain because there's traffic. So what they do is they widen the lanes and they invite more cars so that within two or three years, you have a bigger, the same jams, just bigger. Yeah. And uh, it happens over and over and over again. And it takes the courageous, visionary politicians like uh, Betsy Price in, in, in Fort Worth to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't the type of environment that uh, is inducive to business. It's not inducive to human safety and it's not inducive to health. So uh, let's incrementally unwind this and it can be done. And we've, we've done it in 27 American cities so far. Right. And what's interesting is I was just thinking about my own personal experience, having lived in London and, you know, you're kind of walking, you're taking public transport one and two, you're walking around everywhere. And then here it's like, I have to make an effort to get on my bike or go for a run or whatever. And, you know, or the, another way I think about it is like trying to learn a language. If you move to Spain, you have to learn Spanish. You are forced into it by your surroundings. Whereas if I live here, I have to kind of sit down and read textbooks and it's just much more difficult. But it, but it feels like that's a similar principle of just setting up something that is just the, the very structure of it requires you to live a different type of way. Which goes back to this core principle of blue zones. If you want people to um, get healthier, don't try to change their behavior change their environment your example of spain you don't have to home people to take spanish lessons they show up and they go into a bar and they meet an attractive person and that attractive person only speaks spanish so you're gonna learn it. <laughs> whether you like it or not um, i think it's a big idea for america and if any policymaker that takes the time to read the evidence on the lower death rate the better health and the better business outcomes you get when you make a bikeable, walkable or bikeable city. You think about places like Copenhagen, Amsterdam, New York City, London. Look around at the people on the streets there. They're not 40% obese like you'll see in many Midwestern towns where everybody drives everywhere. So the benefits are, are very visible and very tactile to creating streets for human beings and, and not just automobiles. When did you write the, the original piece for National Geographic? What year was that? 2005. So 2005. So you do that and then you're like, I can make a business out of this. Is that your, the first time you had set up a business? No, I didn't set out to create a business. I'm an explorer and I learned over time that the, the exploration that makes the biggest difference are People go find something that's meaningful, not just climb Everest for the 3,000th time or you know, jump out of a hot air balloon in a bungee cord. So no, I was wholly motivated, just had this idea and seeing if I could find something really useful. It was a cover story for National Geographic that led to a New York Times bestselling book called The Blue Zones. And then yeah, I'd be on these, this talk show circuit. 
my publisher would set me up on Good Morning America and CNN and Fox and and Oprah and and I sort of go into these green rooms, these waiting rooms ahead of time, and I'd talk about my findings on TV. And I'd come in, and there'd be some other dietary expert, you know. And I, I thought to myself, you know, what I found is really legitimate. These people have been doing living in blue zones the same way for thousands of years. Could I reproduce that in the United States? And in 2009, I got a grant from AARP and a collaboration agreement from from AARP. Yeah. Oh, really? Big grant, actually. For for our overseas listeners, that's American Association of Retired Persons. It's like the big, powerful, old folks lobby, effectively. But they also have a huge foundation. And um, with that foundation, they generally try to do good, but they like it especially when that, that good accrues to people 55 and over, or 50 and over. They love this idea. I think they just love the, the notion that... that uh, American cities could learn from the oldest people in the world. So it was, you know, thematically aligned with their values. We auditioned five American cities, picked Albert Lee, Minnesota, and they, they let us help them change their policies, their restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, schools, and even individual people's homes. And what was that city when you went in there? It was Albert Lee, Minnesota. 70% of them were suffering from obesity or being overweight. 70%. You know, it used to be a meatpacking plant town. People ate way too much beef and pork and they drank too much dairy. About a third of them were suffering from diabetes or pre-diabetes. Shockingly, we found, even though it was a picturesque little town on the prairie, people were devastatingly lonely as they imploded into their homes and onto their devices. And for- Three year, two years, I had the benefit of, of getting a lot of those people out, connecting them, putting them in Moais. We got the city council to change the adopt complete streets. So bike lanes went in, uh, a big lake at the edge of town that couldn't get around it. They put a big trail around it. They passed a whole litany of small ordinances that favored health over non-health, I guess, Critical mass of all the schools, restaurants, and grocery stores became Blue Zone certified. So from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you went to bed at night, you were unconsciously nudged into eating better food, moving more, connecting with your neighbors. And their life expectancy after two years went up by three years per person. We helped them shed about 3,000 kilos (laughs) off of their waistlines, their life satisfaction went up by about 10%. So it was a huge success that got national press. Mm. And then a a big uh, Fortune 100 company called Healthways came to me and said, hey, we love what you're doing. We think it's the future of health in America. And we formed a partnership that was 10 years ago. And to date, we now have 53 American cities that have brought my team in to blue zone them, so to speak, pervasively. Every city we've had a chance to go in, we've seen the obesity rates drop, smoking rates drop, and people's life satisfaction rises. And that's as it's measured by Gallup. In terms of that that 10-year arc, thinking again today about what's happening today with the pandemic, I feel like a lot of, you know, we a lot of people that have come on this pod in the last few months have said, you know, we were trying to do X, and then this has just 
accelerated what we were trying to do by five years, 10 years, whatever, you know, extreme number. Do you think this could potentially be a moment for what you are trying to do? In terms of like just saying about the Santa Barbara example, you know, pedestrianizing the main drag, you know, is that going to be temporary or permanent or that kind of thing? Or do you, do you think this is something that could be kind of a, um, you know, for lack of a better term, a game changer? For the type of built environment uh, demonstrations, yes, it could be a game changer. But overall, the way these Blue Zones projects are funded is they're publicly supported but privately funded. And it's usually by hospital systems and insurance companies. And they're beleaguered right now. Hospital systems are hemorrhaging money because of yes. COVID. So the hospital systems usually fund this, like the local hospital system? Yes. Really? Yeah, and it's typically the ones who have taken on some accountability. They're the enlightened ones. And then also the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, the enlightened Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, because they have kind of a double bottom line. They not only have to manage to a profit, but they also have to their feet are held to the fire to improve the health of the community. So that's where we come in. Well, theoretically, if you blue zone the city, they'll have less patients. In every city, we see fewer cases of diabetes, heart disease, several types of cancers. And remember, when you're dealing with a population of a million, 1% improvement has an enormous, um, occasions enormous cost savings. So so the bad news is the, the, the healthcare system is overwhelmed by COVID right now. But executives understand that the our hair is on fire with COVID right now, and it will perhaps kill two or 300,000 people this year. But chronic disease will kill 20 million. I mean, I'm sorry, 20 right. times as many, many people. Most of the people dying of COVID have one of these comorbidities. They have chronic disease. So, you know, unless you address the fundamental issues, the the things that are weakening Americans and making them susceptible to COVID, the problem, COVID is not going away, by the way. It's here forever. The sooner we adjust the way we live our lives to accommodate the disease and minimize its impact, the better off we're going to be. Someone made the kind of wry comment that basically what COVID done is help America discover Europe or European style living to this point around sidewalk dining and being outside and walking more, et cetera. Does it, is there in Europe, do you guys operate? Is there any interest or is it basically because the way so much of Europe is set up, they kind of don't need you because there's st- there are still major health issues there, but it's, it's, you know, in many cases it's quite different. It's more blue zony than America. It is more blue zony. But we've been approached by many cities in Europe. We just don't have the capacity to do it. I mean, it's we're still learning this. We're, we're in the fifth iteration. You know, we're 2.3. Right. By the way, most blue zones are, because of America's influence, are devolving. Their um, longevity uh, advantage is, is being paved under the standard American diet and the, the, the rush towards mechanization and and the you know ubiquity of this thing, Europe is not immune. They're they're making the same mistakes uh, we did. They're just a little bit behind us in making these mistakes. You mentioned a couple of times trees being important. Why? Maybe just the way the fact that we evolved with trees. I mean, there's good research that shows that if you have you know I wrote a a book and a cover story for National Geographic on happiness, and there's research that shows if you just have a window that looks out on uh, greenery or trees, mm. 
you report higher levels of well-being. If you have a tree in front of your, if you have two trees in front of your house, the average house is worth about 40,000 more dollars than it would be if you didn't have any trees in front of it. So a lot of what the, the decision to walk to work or walk to the store, part of it is, do I feel safe? But the yeah. other part of it, is it pleasant? So if you have to walk through some concrete jun- jungle past graffitied houses, you're less likely to go make that trip on foot than if you're walking down a, si- a sidewalk street with beautiful trees and, and greenery. It appeals to the human condition and I think both subconscious and conscious levels. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm John Pienaar, and you can hear my afternoon program on Times Radio. Wherever you are in the world, do join me as I talk about the big issues of the day to experts, journalists, and guests. Listen to my afternoon show for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker, online at times.radio and via our free Times Radio app. Every Monday to Thursday, 4 p.m. till 7 on Times Radio. Know your times. On the business side, uh, it's kind of approved by a city but funded by private health insurance. Is that... Has that evolved? Because that's a really interesting model. I'm just curious, how do you get paid? And how did, was it difficult to arrive at this thing, at this model where you, this is how we implement it? This is how it gets paid for. This is how it works. Because again, it feels, especially I imagine 10 years ago, it was all a little bit squishy and a little bit unclear of how this, you know, who's going to pay for it, who accrues the benefit, and, you know, how that kind of, the, the economic financial benefit is split up. Yeah, we have an enormous headwind because the way the American healthcare system works is the incentives are all lined up behind sickness. It's all private. So if you're if you're a pharmaceutical company, if your profits rely on people coming in and buying drugs. If you're a hospital, your profits are, rely on people filling beds and ordering service. If you're a doctor, your profits rely on people coming in for visits and procedures. And there's no incentive. There's no economic incentive in this country to keep people healthy. Uh, Everybody loses money in the healthcare industry if you stay healthy. (laughs) Um, So we come along with this absolutely disruptive model to say, we're actually going to keep your city healthy. 
And um, there's no public funding for that. The places that tend to, to fund us are enlightened CEOs. They're t- typically the CEO has been around for 10, 20, 30 years and have seen the same sort of Sisyphean apps and schemes, coaching schemes to get people healthier. And they look at our data and they say, this actually works and I want to do something good. And um, there's enough of those enlightened CEOs out there. Alan Weiss from Naples Community Hospital or Mike Gold, the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, that say, we're going to do it because it's the right thing. And they figure out how to get it paid. In Orlando, which we've been working in Orlando, Florida, for the past year or so, and they have a very interesting business coalition that have come together. They realize that usually the second most expensive line item on their annual budget for these big companies is healthcare costs. So the, the big employers there are actually have come to the table to fund a blue zone project there. And uh, that's if that model works as we think it will, I think it's a, a, it'll be a big breakthrough for these kinds of proactive chronic disease mitigation projects. So on the whole, for example, I have a friend when you're talking about hospitals that are suffering. I have a friend who is a pulmonologist, a lung specialist running a COVID ICU unit, and he's had to take a 20% pay cut because his hospital, as they've kind of, they had cut out all the elective surgeries, which is, of course, the source of all the money. So not only is he having to work more, he's getting paid less to take care of these critically ill patients. So that I understand that the pressure that hospitals are under is immense. So you have that on one end, and on the other, you have these moves to fundamentally change the way people live and move around the world. When you step back, do you think this will this will ultimately nudge people more toward what you're talking about or will actually set it back when you think about just the nuts and bolts of getting these things funded and actually happening? First of all, we have about 60 cities that still want us to come in, but they've kind of hit hmm. the, the, the pause button because of COVID. Yeah. But you, you touched on something I'd like to expand on a bit. that You read the news about COVID and it's just so overwhelming that is hitting the world and 130,000 people have died. But I actually believe there's some several kind of Blue Zones-esque silver linings to it. First of all, because people aren't going out to eat, they're forced to relearn the art of cooking at home. Yes. And when you cook at home, on average, you consume about 200 fewer calories than you would if you went out. And that, that food is, on average much lower sodium, much lower fat, because you can control it. If you saw the crap yeah. they put in soup in restaurants, you wouldn't eat it. <laughs> the fact that you're cooking it and ideally cooking it with your family is a huge opportunity. I think number two, according to Gallup, 2 million surveys, only about 30% of Americans actually like their job. To put a finer yeah. point on it, 30% of Americans are able to use their skills to do what they do best at work. So they're not getting a lot of purpose. These people are losing their jobs or being furloughed. And, you know, I'm sensitive to the trauma of losing your job. And there's a lot of people in America under financial constraints. But there's a lot of people for whom this will give an opportunity to reboot, to take Mm. stock in what they really love to do. You know, maybe they lost their job as a, as a, you know, an appraiser or as a, delivery person delivering pizzas, but this gives them a, 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 another bite at the apple at finding something that really fuels their heart. 
And then lastly, and I was a big sort of Luddite, like the way we're connecting right now, Danny, and you know, I see you. I was never really a big fan of FaceTime or the Zoom sort of thing. But I think people, have, because they've, they've imploded, they, they've learned how to create emotional connection with friends and family, uh, with technology that transcends yeah. the just sort of facile emoji or let's meet here that people are having real conversations online. So I don't think it's all negative. One thing I just wanted to circle back on, you mentioned purpose. Is purpose important to health? So first of all, anecdotally, you see vocabulary and purpose in all blue zones. People don't wake mm. up with this existential angst of, you know, what, what, what should I be doing with my life? They know exactly what they should be doing with their lives. But there's a very famous study by Robert Butler, who was the first director of the National Institutes on Aging. And he went, he had cohorts of people writing about their lives and people who were expressing a clear sense of purpose were living about eight years long than people who were rudderless in life. So there is a strong correlation between purpose and living long. People who have a strong sense of purpose are more likely to take their medicines. They're more likely to get out of bed and do something active, to keep their brains engaged, to keep socially connected. And all these things uh, have an enormous impact on how long you're going to live. And I would argue a much uh, bigger impact than how long they're going to live than any pharmaceutical on the egg. It is interesting that just, there's a whole movement out here, which I'm sure you're well aware of, is you know meditation apps and this kind of wellness movement. A lot of which is, frankly, snake oil as far as I'm concerned. But there is some stuff there that is quite useful that people do seem to that are people are gravitating toward, which is which in another time would have just been dismissed as you know this is just nonsense. But it does feel like the outcomes are real and significant, or can be in some cases. I have no confidence in the sort of Fitbit, Get Active yeah. apps. But I do, I do put some credibility in meditation apps because meditation yeah. really does work. If you get on one of these apps where you um, stick to it every day, they make sure you show up for a month or so at a time so you actually develop the skill. It's doing a real service to people. Lastly, before I, before I let you go, you also have the Blue Zones cookbook, which I actually have in my kitchen. Is there something you're doing right now, a, a recipe that I should kind of roll out? Because um, all we do is cook now. Cook, eat, and look after the kids. That's all. So first of all, I, I cringe at cookbook because this was a – I took a National Geographic <laughs> photographer. I'm a, yeah. I'm a writer. I did the science reporting, but I also did go up into the highlands and, and the, the remote islands in the blue zone and capture recipes that have been cooked for over 500 years. This is not Betty Crocker. In it's other not words. Betty Crocker. It's been 11 weeks on the New York <laughs> Times bestselling list. But there is one recipe there I want you to try, Danny. It's called okay. the Melise Minestrone. So I met mm. the longest lived family in the history of the world. Nine siblings, collective age, 860 years. They ate the same lunch Jeez. every day. Sourdough bread, a small glass of Cannonau wine, and this minestrone, which is... This all sounds fabulous. Wine for lunch. Wine and bread for lunch already. I'm sold. <laughs> and by the way, sourdough metabolically is vastly different than just a plain uh, piece of white bread. If you're, having, if you're having a real sourdough, and you people in San, San Francisco have some of the best sourdough in the country... Yeah. That actually lowers the glycemic load of a meal as opposed to a piece of white bread. 
But oh, interesting. Minestrone, we're finding now that um, arguably the most important quote unquote organ in our body is the eight pounds of bacteria in our microbiome. It's at the end yeah. of our, our gut, a uh, hundred trillion bacteria that when you feed them right, they create something called short chain fatty acids, which modulate, keep your immune system health, healthy and fine tuned. It keeps inflammation under control and it governs your mood. And if you fail to feed those bacteria the right food, that whole system goes awry. The only thing those healthy bacteria eat is fiber. And they like a all kinds of fiber. So you eat a, a Melise minestrone, it's got five kinds of beans, garlic, onions, it, tomatoes, uh, it's uh, uh, celery, carrots, and it, it's slow cooked. So th- those fibers are, are uh, accessible to the body. Man, you eat that, your microbiome has a Mardi Gras party down there and it rewards you <laughs> so i'm not even lying i argue that 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 minestrone is you know people like to find a superfood i would argue and i can marshal in the evidence that that is the best quote-unquote superfood you could possibly eat the siblings uh would they all live in the same village well, I was in the I was in the kitchen with two of them. They weren't, you know, they don't all hang out together. Yeah, just like you're not yeah, with your brother right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I went with two of them, and they told me that story that they their their whole family eats it uh, wow. every day. But and how old are they? Well, the oldest one's 109, and the youngest one's like 95. Um, but the uh, the the young wet behind the ears 95 year old. Yeah, Tommy. He rides his bike to school <laughs> still, and then, uh, but. Um, no, it's just, you know, it's a correlation, of course, but it's a good story. But for every one of these restaurants, I sat on a stool with my laptop and I watched these people make these foods. And part of the secret to cooking for longevity is getting the right recipes, yeah. and the right ingredients. But a lot of it's how it's combined and how it's cooked. And um, that sort of art is disappearing in the way of, you know, General Mills and McDonald's. And, um, you know, I like to think of this as a piece of archival work uh, artistically wrought by great photography. So I'm going to make the minestrone this week. I'll send you a picture and um, I'll take a, like a straw poll of the family and see, and see how, see what we think. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old who are finicky these days, but we'll see. Slow cook it. We've got a nice, it was the one thing like we bought as a housewarming gift that from somebody who's got, they got us a nice big crusade, crusette. I don't know how you say it. Yeah. 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 One of those. It's a cast iron. Yeah, yeah, enameled cast iron. Yeah, I love yes. those. Those are also great, by the way, for making sourdough bread in. And really, oh, they're they're amazing. Yeah, oh, wow. you you uh, so you, you you get the starter dough. You probably get it from one of the sourdough. It's just literally uh, flour, whole wheat flour, water. You let it raise. Uh, it takes you, you got to feed it. You don't even have to knead the dough. You just throw it at the bottom of that that cast iron hot and you put it in your oven for about an hour top on for the first half and top off for the second half you'll get the most amazing bread i'm inspired i appreciate you taking the time i will uh, leave you to more important matters nothing more important than talking to danny for <laughs> <laughs> and that is all the time we have um before i go i'd be remiss if i didn't say first thanks 
to Dan for chatting, and also to tell you that I made the minestrone. It is fantastic. It is, and it has basically like just a little like a half a teaspoon of salt. But other than that, there's no salt in this big old pot that I made. I made it for my wife. She loved it too. Haven't tried it out on the kids yet. We shall see. But um, I'm feeling uh, more vital already. Anyhow, that's it for this week. I hope you guys have a fabulous weekend and you actually get out to get outside, maybe see some people, social distance, of course, and um, stay safe. In the meantime, take a moment, give a rating and review to this podcast, or even better yet, subscribe to the newspaper, which helps keep me employed. We'll be back next week with another episode, of course. You can also find me online at thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter at Danny Fortson, or feel free to even email me with questions, concerns, suggestions, criticisms, whatever it may be, at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Have a good one. Talk to you next week. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.